0: Hey everybody! Welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra. Thank you for listening. Uh, I uh, recently updated my computer from one point ten point one two to ten point one five, and then it was suddenly like, yeah, Audacity doesn't work anymore. And I was like, oh crap! So I looked up Audacity online, and it was like, yeah, ten point one five not supported in i in Audacity. Sorry, sucks to be you. And I was like, crap! And this was like last night, so I was like, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh um, god! So it was a mad scramble to find something, and I'm using a new program hopefully it works and if it, I hope this sounds okay and I'll be able, hopefully be able to tell during the edit but anyway um, welcome to this week's episode this is co- this is uh, a story by a uh, well, well we'll get to that um, but uh, basically I, I got uh, shouted out by a Twitter feed called the weirdling uh, and uh, one of the, one of his followers uh, said hey if you want to read one of my stories I'd love to have it and I was like great sent him on over and he sent this he sent a bunch of stories over and this story has possibly the greatest title that i have ever read like ever so uh just bear that in mind here we go the apotheosis of a rodeo clown by brett talley the biker they called tonto is already helping hog drag the girl down into the mine by the time i decided what i needed to do Tonto means stupid in Spanish. Can't say much else about the Sons of Dagon, especially much of anything positive, but they had a way with names. As I looked down at my fake stump hand covered in fake stump blood, I made the decision to save the girl. That was the clown code, after all. But I probably better back up and start at the beginning. Not like most other people. I'm a full-time rodeo clown. Real professional. Not one of these kids looking to score a few bucks when the show rolls through town on the weekend. Been doing it the better part of my adult life. Hell, I clowned with Mr. Flint Rasmussen himself, and that still means something in certain parts of the country. Clowning wasn't always my dream. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a bull rider. I was going to be the one to finally score the perfect ten. Had some talent for it, too. Started out with calves, like most of the young'uns. Then when I was 14 years old, I rode my first bull, Charbray by the name of Bodacious. Now, Bodacious was one clever son of a bitch. He had this trick he'd pull where he'd throw his legs up in the air in such a way that threw you forward, then he'd jerk his head back and smash you in the face. Weren't too many that rode Bodacious who didn't have a broken nose to show for it. They warned me about that when I got on him. I told myself well, he ain't gonna get me in the face, and by God he didn't. Of course when he bucked forward and I pulled back, instead of letting my body weight go with him, I completely lost control. He threw me alright and landed a back kick right in my spine, like something from a Saturday morning cartoon. I didn't break my nose, but I did break my spine. Nothing too serious as back breaks go. Not a paraplegic or anything, but they did tell me no more bull riding. And that was that, the end of a dream. So, I decided I'd do the next best thing. If I couldn't ride the bull, I'd fight the bull. That's the rodeo clown's true name, a bullfighter. Yeah, we wear the face paint and the silly pants and a shirt that would look good in a San Francisco gay pride parade, but we're warriors at heart. Like all good warriors, we have a code. And rule number one of the rodeo clown code is that you never leave an innocent in harm's way. Not when you can step in front of whatever's coming for them. Which brings me to the girl. We'd been doing a show in Lone Pine, a little town in California's Owen Valley resting in a dale between the Alabama Hills. Sounds picturesque, but it was a parched town in a dry desert where water never flowed, except through the aqueducts that headed south to Los Angeles so the city could drink up Lone Pine's future, present, and past. Most of the guys hated shows like that, and little places soon forgotten. They dreamed of the big time in Amarillo or Tulsa or Cheyenne. Not me. People in little towns like that they ain't got nothing so when we come, we are the world to them for a few precious hours. We can bring them joy, real joy. Yeah, the Lone Pine Fairground was broke down. The termites had eaten up the wood of the fence, and the sign didn't even light up anymore, but it was magical to me. So I didn't even notice the guys in leather cuts with Sons of Dagon sewn in great red letters across the back hanging around the gates. We did our thing, danced our dance with the bulls. Nobody got hurt, and the crowd, small though it was, enjoyed it and roared their approval. Good evening's work, with not much to do after but get drunk and think about the next night's show. Hey! Yo, clown! I didn't hesitate to look up, as if the guy was actually calling my name. Dude was big, but not fat. Thick around the chest in the middle. Bald head, but full beard. Basically, he looked like he'd stepped off the sons of anarchy. Hell, maybe he had. Got a proposition for you. He spit a line of tobacco juice into the dust. You interested in a little side work? Depends, I said. What you got? Two other men in the same leather cut-off jackets appeared beside him. One of them was tall, skinny, and shook like an alcoholic after a bender when the money runs out. I would learn later that he was called Tonto. Never learned his real name. Never learned any of their real names. I'm not even sure they remembered them. The old guy was as chubby as Tonto was skinny. Big old boy who didn't seem like he'd be all that comfortable on the back of a motorcycle. The hog is supposed to be the bike. And in fact, that was his name. Hog. I'd learn all that later, of course. For now, they didn't talk. Just the one in the middle did that. Rodeo. Small private event. Couple hundred in it for you and for anyone else you get. He grinned. Something about it I definitely didn't like. I'd say I should have listened to my instincts, but fact is, I needed the money. Professional rodeo clowns aren't exactly highly paid, and the benefits are for shit. Alright, I said. I'm in. Think you can get a few of the boys to come along? Sure thing. As many as you need. Not, Not too many. Just a couple. And another thing... This is sort of a Halloween-type event, so you think you can bloody it up a bit? It was June. Strange, but people had asked for stranger. Sure. Hell yeah, he said, slapping me on the back. We'll pick you up tomorrow, this time right here. Three men turned and walked off into the gathering dark, the thick one cackling all the way to the parking lot. It wasn't hard to find volunteers. Two hundred bucks for a night's work was unheard of. Sure, there was probably something else to it, but when the money's good, who gives a rip? They returned the next night, just as they had promised as our last show was coming to a close. They pulled up in a van. The muscular one was driving. No bikes? He scowled at me, and the look made me wonder if he'd ever killed a man. What? He said. You want to ride, bitch? I laughed. He did not. I guess not. I said, what's your name, anyway? Piston. That's all you need to know. Get in the back. Hey! Tonto stuck his head out the window. You're supposed to be dressed up for Halloween. I held up a plastic bag. We'll change in the back. He grunted, which I took as a sign of approval. I climbed in the back of the van, and two of my buddies followed. They were young guys, not locals exactly, but Californians who'd worked the season when the tour came through. There were no seats other than the two in front, so we made ourselves as comfortable as possible and hoped the piston was a more conscientious driver than might be expected. Hog was passed out in the bed of the van, fortunately out of our way. I emptied the contents of the bag on the floor, mostly fake blood and cheap bandages, and passed them around to Sam and Jake, the other two clowns that had joined me. I call them clowns, but they were of the new set that eschewed the classic get-up in favor of a more traditional cowboy look, so I was the only one wearing paint. I'd gone with the more John Wayne Gacy approach, white face, blue triangles over my eyes, red mouth painted to points. That's the thing about Gacy. Any clown could have told you he was a bad dude. Real clowns outline their paint in nice, gentle curves. It's less aggressive. Sends a signal that, no, we are not actually going to kill you. Points are aggressive. Sharp angles, frightening. Should have known Gacy was a killer. He wore it right there on his face. Tonto leaned over the back of his seat and gawked at us. He watched us squirt fake blood and black paint into our hands and spread it across our clothes, our arms, our faces. What you doing? Tonto said you wanted Halloween, right? We're zombies. Tonto giggled stupidly. Zombie clowns, he giggled some more. What do you think about that, Piston? They're clown zombies. Piston didn't answer. He seemed to be a man of few words. Tonto turned back around, but every now and then I'd hear him giggle to himself again. The only windows in the van were in the back, so I leaned against the wheel well and watched the place we'd just been slip into the past. The Alabama Hills rose around me, named by Southern sympathizers for the mighty warship that was the pride of the Confederacy. I wondered about those people, Southerners who'd come west in 49 looking for their fortunes. By definition then, they didn't own slaves, couldn't legally in the territory they were headed even if they could have afforded them. Like so many, their loyalty was to the Southern Earth, the states that had given them birth, the rivers that divided them. I wondered how they felt when the Alabama was sunk off the coast of France. Not everyone was disappointed. Just beyond the Alabama Hills lay the Kearsarge Range, named after the ship that sent her to the bottom of the sea. What a country. So where are we going? I asked. Mining Town, said Piston, up in the mountains. You guys go up there a lot? Yeah, we go up there a lot. People still live there? Nope. Abandoned. Well, that wasn't a surprise. The Alabama Hills had once drawn men with little money and big dreams from every part of the country and even the world. Only one in a hundred made it. Ten times that ended up dead while the rest were just broken. Then the big conglomerates came through and bought up the hills. That's when the mines went deep and towns sprung up around them. I call them towns, but they were little more than camps for the men. Saloon, dry goods store, maybe a brothel if they were lucky. This town got a name? Piston caught my eye in the rear view. Couldn't see his mouth, but I knew he was smiling. Sure it does. They call it Sutter's End. Sutter's End. So that was it. I began to wonder if I'd made a mistake. Easy money always comes with a price, and the old saw about something that seems too good to be true is, more often than not, on target. Sutter's End had a nasty reputation. The mine had closed some fifty years before, and the town had died with it. The story that everyone knew was that the main shafts were running dry, but the bosses wanted to squeeze a few more million out of the hole, so they ordered the men to blast a new shaft down from the main one. Of course, blasting when you were that deep already was nothing short of taking your life in your own hands, but... Back in those days, that sort of thing went. Still does, if we're being honest with each other. So when the charges detonated, down came the supports and the walls and the ceilings with them. That was the official story, at least. Tragedies like that always have another, one more shrouded in the twice-told and the unsupported. And Sutter's End had a doozy. The story, as the folks who lived at the bottom of the Alabama hills told it, was that the charges worked just fine. Better than fine, even that when they went off, they opened something more than just a new shaft. Nobody was ever quite so certain or so specific as to what exactly that something more was, but whatever came out of there took the miners. The people of the town, the ones who made it out alive, fled, left everything behind, and just went. So it stayed for years, till time dimmed the fear enough that enterprising grave robbers stripped the town bare. But even now, whispers would sometimes float down from Sutter's end no one dared to go up there at night to find out where they came from. No one, it seemed, but the sons of Dagon. And us. The sun was setting by the time the town came into view. Thick clouded dust rolled down the hill as we drove up, and when we pulled into what remained of the town, we saw why. It was chaos. When you spend as much time clowning as I have, you've seen just about every type of man, and you learn quick not to judge them too much by what you see. But as I watched men bigger and meaner looking than Piston spinning around the town square on giant bikes of shimmering chrome, metal bars shaped like bones, skulls with devil horns curving off of them between the handles, I was afraid. I glanced at Sam and Jake saw the same look on their faces. The van came to a stop. Piston threw open the rear doors and we hopped out. It was a party, all right. There were bikers everywhere sporting the leather cuts that read Sons of Dagon across the back with some sort of emblem beneath it that I didn't recognize, like something out of one of those monster movies that comes on the television after midnight. I didn't like to look at it, so I didn't examine it for long. It was a face of sorts, one with evil eyes and what looked like tentacles that hung down where the mouse should be. There wasn't much left of the town, and it didn't seem like there had been that much there to begin with. One central sheet with buildings on either side. At the end they had erected a stage where a band was playing, heavy on the metal guitar with drums that sounded like thunder. The arena was set up off on the other end, then I recognized a cowboy leaning up a cattle carrier next to it. Dan Travis, I said, walking up and taking his hand with the one I hadn't wrapped in bloody bandages. Well I'll be damned, he said. What the hell are you doing here? Same thing as you, I guess. Part of this circus too, huh? He pulled out a pack of cigarettes and offered me one. I declined. If I had to do it over, I might have passed. The rumble of a back and a hollered obscenity punctuated the thought. He looked at me and squinted. You supposed to be dead or something? Something, I said. When's this show getting started? Well, they said we was waiting on you, so I guess any time now. Suits me just fine. I'd like to get the hell clear here before it gets too dark. I looked around at our surroundings. Town wasn't on a hill, precisely. More like a high canyon with low, craggy walls on the sides. All in all, that meant the sun seemed to set faster than it should, and the darkness was more complete when it did. Yeah, I hear you. Any idea who's in charge? That would be me. I turned to see a man, older but just as firmly built as Piston, standing behind me. He wore sunglasses, even though the day was long gone, and his gray beard came to a point below his chin in a way that reminded me of the devil. I'm Goat, he said, offering his hand, and as I took it, I thought that name worked with the beard, too. I run this show. Thank you, boys, for coming. Happy to be here,' I lied. "'So where'd you guys find this place?' "'Goat snorted. "'I own it. "'My granddaddy bought the land after the mine died. "'He needed a place for his family to have some privacy. "'As you can see, that family has grown.' "'He swept the area with his hand "'as if asking us to take it all in. "'And we did. "'About that time, the band fired up again. "'We take all kinds,' he said, "'looking over his shoulder as the drummer hammered away. "'Me, I prefer what you boys do, "'so that's why you're here.' We'll get started in 15 minutes. Be ready. He started to walk off, but then he turned and pointed at my stump hand. Love the zombie getup. 15 minutes later, we were in the ring ready to go, and I can tell you this. I've never been more afraid. The band still played, but we were now the show, and most of the gang had made its way over to the makeshift corral. It was rotten wooden slats, literally strung together with twine and baling wire. Half-decent bull would have broke straight through and killed us all. But these bulls weren't half decent. They were, in fact, the saddest I'd ever seen. Ten years past their prime if they were a day. There were no riders, no real ones at least. The Sons of Dagon took turns. The crowd at the edge of the makeshift ring urged them on, cursing, screaming, firing guns into the air. I doubted they had permits. I spent as much time dodging bottles as I did dodging bulls. The energy in the air was foul and full of bloodlust. The crowd pulsated, seeming to squeeze in on us. Their shouts rose from a din to a roar till they seemed to cover all. They were pagan, visceral, somehow hearkening back to a time of man's darkest age. One of the drunkest ones leapt the fence and ran toward a bull even as it struggled with its rider. Poor thing was terrified. Over and over they rode them till I was doubled over, hands on my knees, exhausted. But still, they rode. It came to an end as suddenly as it had begun. Ten different guys had probably ridden that bull. The sweat was thick on its sides, its mouth foamed, and the sounds that came from its gullet no animal should make. Then it happened. The great beast gave one last massive thrust of its hind legs, and then the rest of it tumbled over on its side. I knew then it was dead. Probably dead before it hit the dirt. From somewhere deep below us, the earth rumbled. The night sort of sputtered out then. The mood had changed. The suns drifted away one by one. The band stopped playing, packed up its kit, took down the stage, and was gone. It was full dark then, and the stars shone cold light upon us. Goat walked up, oddly somber. He handed each man a hundred dollars more than we were promised. You done good, he said, glancing down at my stump hand. Night went sour. Sorry about that. He took a drag from his cigarette and coughed. Piston and the boys will take you back but they got cleanup duty tonight, so it might be a while. No idea what they'll do with that shit. He nodded at the dead bull. Flies had begun to gather. Burn it, I guess. Then he, too, was gone. Before long, it was just us. Sam and Jake leaned against the rotted fence, kicking at the dirt, silent and sullen. I didn't much feel like celebrating either, but there was no point in whining about it. I'm gonna go find Piston, I said. They just ignored me, and I didn't bother trying to talk to them again. I headed out, down what had been the main street. With the band and the bikes and the stage lights gone, it was dark in the way only the far wilderness can be dark, where not even the glow of distant city lights can ruin the night's completeness. In other words, it was dark as all hell, and even when my eyes adjusted, I could only barely make out the outlines of buildings. Add the unnatural quiet, and I admit to being somewhat unnerved. More than somewhat. Laughter came from one of the buildings. A beam of light and someone spilling out behind it into the street. I guess they saw me or heard me or something because the next moment the beam was shining in my direction. Then a giggle. Tonto. Clown, he slurred drunk or high or both. Zombie clown. I like you. A larger darkness stumbled out behind him. Piston. I expected Hogg to follow. I did not expect him to be carrying someone else when he did. The two of them joined Tonto. I stopped dead in my track, suddenly quite aware of how bad things had just gotten for me. Tonto said something I couldn't hear, all three of them looked at me. A woman screamed. Hog slapped her heart across the face and told her to shut up. I almost thought I could see blood dripping from her nose. You coming, clown? Piston slurred. Where you going? I said, as natural as I could. Took a few steps toward them. Piston raised an arm and pointed out down the road to the rock face of the cliff that backed up to the town, at a patch of black night a little bit darker than the rest. It had been obscured by the stage before, but now it was clear. They started toward what could only be the opening of the mine, the one that had given birth to the town and then killed it. I said the first thing that came to my mind. Well, fuck. Every man, every woman too for that matter, has a moment where they have to decide who they are and who they will be to decide whether to take a stand so they can stand themselves. This was my moment. The three men and one struggling woman disappeared into the darkness of the shaft. I knew what was next. They'd rape her, multiple times most likely. Then they'd kill her, and that would be it. No one would ever find the body, not down in that mine shaft. And just in case you think I was being all heroic, I also figured they'd kill me when they were done with her, price of seeing something I wasn't supposed to see. So I made the only decision I could make I followed them down into the mine I hadn't exactly formulated a plan But one thing was immediately apparent I couldn't see for shit Fortunately, the three jackasses in front of me Were as prepared as they were drunk And I could follow the light of their bobbin' flashlights I stumbled after them Hoping to find a pickaxe or a shovel Or just a damn big rock to use as a weapon Otherwise, I wasn't sure what I was going to do When I caught up to them When that actually happened, and without said pickaxe, shovel, or damn big rock, I basically made small talk. So, I said in the hopes of announcing my presence without startling them and getting shot or stabbed, what are we doing here, guys? Piston turned to me, and for the first time, I saw the girl's face. She'd been crying, which was no surprise, but I wasn't prepared for the pain in those tear-filled eyes, or the look of absolute desperate hope that fell completely on me. "'You a believer?' Piston asked in the strangest non-sequitur of my life. Of all the things that had happened that night, it was his question that shocked me the most. Yeah, I said, I guess so. You guess? Yeah. Well, we'll see if we can't make a believer out of you. And when you see what we gotta show you, you won't need faith. He pointed to the wall of the mine. You see that? And I did see it. A ragged opening big enough for a man to enter through, but not comfortably. Obviously not a shaft running off the main or an opening made on purpose, either. If I had to guess, they'd been blasting when it broke through on its own. When something broke through. I thought back to the stories I'd heard about what had happened here, and I wondered just how much truth there was to the old local legends. Come on, Piston said. We got something to show you. Yeah, Tonto said. Something to show you. Then he laughed that big, stupid laugh as he disappeared behind Hogg and the girl. Piston just kept on looking at me, and and even through the gloom of the cave I could read his eyes. He was drunk, but he was sober enough to consider whether or not it was a good idea to have me along. Maybe he thought about killing me right then and there, I don't know. But he turned and slipped through the opening, and so did I. Through the crack in the wall, I saw something I could never have dreamed of. Not in my wildest youth, not at my drunkest. This was no new mine shaft, no undiscovered cavern or cave. This was a room. A great, "'Giant chamber made with vaulted ceilings and massive columns. "'Something made by man. "'I hoped man had made it, at least. "'Never seen the lack. "'It put the great temple at Karnak at Luxor to shame. It made a mockery of the most extravagant constructions of the Greeks or the Romans. "'The room glowed with some strange phosphorescence, "'illuminating a thick and unnatural mist that rolled and roiled along the ground. "'Suddenly the three drunken thugs didn't seem so fearsome.' Not nearly so as whatever lurked within this place, whatever or whoever had built it and whatever had happened to those who found it. Where are we? I whispered into the darkness, as if there was anyone who could answer. The trio and their captive stumbled down an arcade that lay between two great colonnades and reluctantly I followed. To flee into the darkened depths of the mine would have been more pleasant. Tonto giggled. This is neat. It's even better than I heard. I felt a cold shiver arc down my spine. You mean you've never been here before? Nah, he said. Goat wouldn't let us. Only the higher. He surely would have said more, but Piston cut him off with a single look. Then he turned to me. You ain't gotta stay if you're scared, clown. Nah, I said. I'm good. Just wonderin's all. He grunted at that, and we continued to walk. I could see that at the end of the arcade was some sort of stone edifice this was a temple, I suppose it was an altar, although unlike anything I'd seen before. Stonework was exquisite. A swirl of rises and falls, deep cuts and shallow valleys. almost hurt to look at it, as if whatever image it produced made the eyes rebel. But whatever it was, and whatever it signified, its creator possessed unmatched skill. I had worked as a stonemason in my youth, and I'd seen enough to know that this was the work of genius. Before it lay a stone slab, and beyond that a deep basin of similar construction. I realized then why the girl was here. So, what are you guys planning to do? Piston turned to me. You said you wanted to see God. I shook my head. I don't think I said that at all. Well, too bad. He jerked at Hogg. Get her ready. Tonto started to cackle again, and the girl screamed. Stupidly, I made a grab at her. Not sure what I thought I'd do if I got a hold of her, and I never found out. Piston threw me away with a single flick of his caber-like arms. I fell to the ground and the cold mist enveloped me. I felt instantly sick, like it was not mist at all, but poison gas. I drug myself to my feet as Piston pointed a long, dirty finger toward me. And And to think I was gonna let you live. But I wasn't paying all that much attention to Piston at the moment. My eyes were on the basin. At first I thought that was where the mist was coming from, but then I realized I was wrong. The mist wasn't flowing from the basin... It was flowing up and into it, as if someone somewhere had flipped a switch on a vacuum. Faster and faster it went until, in one soundless whoosh, the last wisp disappeared over the edge. For the barest of seconds, there was silence, and then the roar. A column of viscous liquid, like oil but somehow thicker and darker, erupted from the heart of the basin. Piston stumbled backward and Tonto shrieked. I followed the flood up, up, up into the eternal darkness above. I suppose that if the temple had a ceiling, it was striking it, but we didn't have long to wonder. Down it came again, but it did not crash to the floor. Instead, it gathered above the basin itself, swirling in a great black ball that pulsated with life. Piston! Tonto cried. Piston, what's going on? But Piston had no answers. We were all the same, standing witness to an event that we were never meant to see. Then something happened I could not have expected. Things got way worse. The black sphere ceased to be a black sphere anymore. It bulged and split, and I thought I saw feet, hands, claws. Then there was no question. Some sort of beast was forming before us. It was not emerging from the dark sphere. They were one and the same. Hogg stared up at the birth of that hideous thing, and I suspect his grip slipped on the girl because she did what any sane person would have done in that moment. She ran. No one tried to stop her. It might as well have been held to the spot by steel spikes. She might have made it, too, but just as she passed me, a whip-black arm of black ichor shot forth from the heart of the beast and wrapped around her throat. She gave a cry, tiny, more startled than painful, as if she simply could not believe this was happening to her. Then in one great jerk that may well have broken her neck, then and there, she snapped back into the midst of the living void. The beast took a step forward and I understood that it intended to make the girls' fate the fate of us all. I glanced from Piston to Hog to Tonto. They looked like children. Scared little kids. The tough demeanor, the ruse they played on people smaller and weaker than them was gone. They saw the end of all things standing before them. Or at least, the end of all their things. The beast took another step. The entrance to the temple was behind me. If I took off, I might be able to make it while that monster was busy with the others. But hell, I couldn't do that. And I say again, it's not that I'm some kind of hero. Truth be told, I'm as scared of things that go bump in the night as the next guy. I just have a guilty streak, and if i let those poor sons of bitches die, I knew I'd regret it someday. True, they weren't worth much, scum of the earth and all, and I figured they could add that girl's death to their list of sins. But together, the three of them might just have enough good in them to be worth one of me. And a rodeo clown is kind of like a secret service agent. It's his job to take the horn, no matter how piss poor the guy is defending. Piston Hog and Tonto hadn't moved half an inch, but the beast—I don't really know what else to call it—was walking or gliding or floating or whatever toward them. I raised my stump hand in the air and hollered my best imitation of the rebel yell. Great granddaddy would have been proud. Over here, you bloated cloud of cow fart! Alright, so it wasn't my best insult, but it worked. The thing didn't have much of a head, and I felt more than saw it turn, but I knew I had its full attention. You're facing an honest-to-God rodeo clown, card-carrying member of the Brotherhood of the American Bullfighter Local 229, and that's what I do. I fight bulls twice your size and half as ugly, and I'm not one bit afraid of you. And, like a bull in the ring, it charged at me. It came at me full on, what looked like liquid obsidian, if such a thing is even possible, forming into a mass like a locomotive. I let it come, right until it was almost upon me, and then I simply stepped to the side. It roared past, slamming into the wall of the temple. We call that the Posa doble, I said. It's Spanish. The thing rolled over on itself like a turning bull and thrust at me again, so I stepped to the other side and it slid past. That's the doble, I hollered at it. It paused in place, floating above the ground. It no longer looked like some kind of minotaur or classic monster out of a bad horror movie, but like a black orb of impenetrable darkness. I spread my legs and crouched, a linebacker waiting for the snap. In an instant, a thick tendril of oil shot out at me just like it had at the girl earlier. I dove forward, rolling underneath, and got out of the way. "'That all you got?' I yelled as the tentacle recoiled back into the mass. But I was already breathing heavy, and I wasn't precisely sure just how much I had left. I spared a glance at the Three Stooges. To my utter amazement, they still stood there, rooted to the spot, with their mouths hanging open to the floor, and I even thought I saw drool seeping out of Tonto's. Probably not an unusual occurrence. I didn't have time to say anything as a large arm the size of a telephone pole swung toward me. I made a guess and lunged like I was going to barrel roll again. The column of ichor crashed to the ground and swept across it. I'd guessed right. Instead of rolling, I leapt as far and high as I could, clear over it, landing on the other side, on my feet. I ran, knowing the arm was probably swinging back even then. I pointed at Piston and yelled, Get through the door, you assholes! Finally, understanding sprung back into his eyes. He turned and said something to the other two, but I didn't hear him. The roar of swirling air and massive movement filled my ears. By the time I glanced back, it was on top of me. Time to make the rounds, I said to myself. I jumped to the side, right as the form almost touched me. And something told me that even the slightest contact meant death, and it slid past. But this time, not all the way, just as I had anticipated. Instead, it flipped on itself, attempting to double back on me. As it turned, I turned, and now we were locked in a dance of death, like a dog chasing its tail where the tail was me. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the three bikers running for the crack. In a few moments, they would be there. They'd be free, and, well, I'd be dead. Couldn't turn forever, and with no one to distract it, I'd never escape. Then, something changed. It sensed, or perhaps it saw, the three running. It stopped turning so abruptly that I almost ran into it, but instead I fell to the ground before it. It formed a wall, and like a wave rolling away from me, arced across the chamber. It waterfalled down in front of the entranceway, blocking the only exit. The three men ground to a halt, hogs slipping and tumbling. The wave crashed down upon him, swallowing him up. He didn't even have time to scream. Shit, I said, pushing myself up. There was a fairly hefty stone beside me and I picked it up, unsure of what good it would do. I was exhausted, but I began to run toward the inky living wall. Piston backed away, his hands up as if he was trying to explain himself to an angry lover. When he turned to run, another tentacle shot from the mass and looped around his right leg. With one giant lurch it had him hanging in the air, suspended thirty feet above the ground. He screamed like a child, high-pitched and urgent, begging to be released, for whatever held him to just let him go. So, it did. His keening reached its peak and then was silenced, replaced by the crunch of his head splitting open on the ground like a walnut smashed by a hammer. The creature slid forward over the body in the growing pool of blood, and when it withdrew, the floor was clear and clean. Tonto was running toward me as I was running toward him, His eyes filled with madness and fear. I wasn't sure exactly what we were going to do or where we were going to go, but I figured I'd die fighting and maybe screaming too. Tonto was almost to me when I heard a sound like a whip crack and saw a serpent-like band wrap around his throat. His eyes went wide, and in another instant I knew the beast would have him. I reared back and threw the stone as hard as I could. To my amazement, it struck the tentacle and cleaved it in two. The larger part withdrew. The smaller fell to the ground, where it exploded into black smoke upon contact. I was exuberant, and just as I was about to let out a massive war whoop, I looked up at Tonto. His hands went to his neck. His eyes were filled with fear and confusion. And then, now I shit you not, he actually began to giggle. Right before his head tilted to the side and fell with a splat to the ground. So, that was it. They were all dead, and I was next. The black curtain before me expanded, its hat reached into the infinite darkness above its width all the way to each wall. I knew then it had been toying with me all along. It could have had me at any point, could have had any of us. But for some reason, known only to whatever mad intelligence guided it, it had waited till now to show its full glory. It began moving forward, and I stumbled back, past one set of columns and then another. Eventually, I'd run out of room and it would take me, but... I was in no hurry to see that happen, so I kept walking backward toward the altar. Then the wall stopped. It hung there, dividing the room in half, preventing me from any means of escape, but it came no further. For a moment I wondered why, but then I became aware of another presence. I heard a sound, as of a slapping upon the ground, a great girth moving and jerking steps. I turned to face it. Whatever it was, whatever new horror was to meet my eyes. It was not what I expected. In my younger years, I'd gigged my share of frogs in the southern swamps, and I now repented my youthful indiscretions. I'll explain what I saw, but the best I can tell you is this. It appeared to be a giant frog, a great toad, Complete with massive belly and globular eyes that looked as if they longed for nothing more than sleep. It was covered with brown fur, which might have been disconcerting on an actual frog, but somehow seemed perfectly reasonable here. Its mouth opened slightly and the tip of a tongue darted out. I fully expected to hear the mightiest ribbit ever to issue forth in the history of the world. But when he spoke, it was only in my mind that I heard it. Bullfighter. Bullfighter. I am the one who sleeps. You You have awakened awakened me from from my slumber. I'm sorry, I whispered almost questioningly. My mind could not process what I was seeing and hearing. No No matter. You You are are not of the cult. The The others should have known better. He moved toward me, his massive splayed feet crashing down upon the temple floor with every step. It is a strange thing. I knew another of your kind long ago, in a very different place from this. He was a thief, a master at his art whose name is now lost to the shrouds of time, but not his memory, and not his soul. He raised himself up to meet my eyes, even though one of his was the size of my entire head. Twice our paths crossed, to the thief and I, and twice I let him go. I promised him there would not be a third time. And now, I sense some of him in you. I swallowed hard, but my mouth was so dry that there was nothing there to swallow. I see into you. There is courage there, unlike most of your brethren. Enough, I think, to make me overlook my promise, O Setampra Upon hearing that name, something stirred within me. Something I had not known was there. Go, it said, and and see that you do not come back. It turned from me then and began to shuffle away. I glanced behind me and watched as the great black curtain split down the middle and opened. I looked back at the other beast as it went, the giant frog, and for reasons unknown I opened my mouth to speak. What do I call you? I asked. It stopped and turned to look at me. This time, when it spoke, its voice rang out with such force that it drew the consciousness from me, and it didn't come back until I woke up, inexplicably, on the main street of the abandoned town above, Sam and Jake shaking my shoulders and screaming at me like they thought I was dead. The beast, the god, didn't say much. Just one word. His own name. SIFOGUA! And that is the end of The Apotheosis of a Rodeo Clown by Brett Talley. I hope you enjoyed this reading. Thank you so much for listening, as you always do. I really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the support. I got a couple new reviews this week. That was really fun. They were both really good five-star reviews. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, If anybody else wants to leave a rating and a review, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, Feel free to tell your friends about the show. I don't really have anything else to talk about, so there it is. I'm done. Um All right, well, thank you all so much for listening, and da-da-da-da-da-da, here's the bloops. The biker they called Tonto is already helping Hog drown the girl down. It's like eight words in. Screwed it up already. All right, so it wasn't my best insult, but it worked. Hey, we're not doing that. Okay, I don't want to kick you out because I need the light, but I'll kick you out, all right? The light that I have in this room uh, burnt out because when I was standing up, I knocked the lamp over and it fell and the light bulb just went out. So I didn't have a light in here. So I had the hall light on and the door open, knowing full well that the cats would get in here. And I hoped maybe I'd be able to get somewhere with it. But apparently I didn't. So anyway, where was I? Sathogua! hello but so that hello there was uh that was my wife coming home from her rehearsal thing that she was at so uh that was fun uh all right